My name is Maria Kent Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. We're here with Olivia. Olivia is actually my neighbor, not totally, but pretty much, right? We're not like Maria in Boston. She's close to me on the West Coast. So welcome, Olivia, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. We are so excited to hear about your sweet mom. Could you start the episode by just sort of telling us those initial signs that you saw what they looked like. Take us to the very beginning. All right. So trying to figure out and pinpoint when this all started for my mom is kind of a blur for all of us in the family. So I think we've kind of come down to 2008 is when it first started. Um, My mom was very social, very independent, had her own thinking, just full of life. And we started noticing my parents moved to Kansas City um, in 2008, removed from her entire life in Colorado. And we just started seeing things that were just not my mom. Phone conversations with her became repetitive. Um, They became less, she became disengaged with us. And so we all just started feeling like this shift of, okay, like what's going on? Maybe she's struggling with this move. Um, Although she kept saying, no, I love it here. It's the best thing we could have ever done. So there was just some denial. So disengagement, the social aspect, she just became kind of like recluse. And, you know, she had a few friends, but they were like 80 years old that she Mm -hmm. met at church. Mm -hmm. They weren't people her own age. So we just started seeing those small signs. It was nothing huge. I mean, you know, I've heard some of the other stories that uh, people with FTD have had, and that was just not her. It started very slow. And then when it wanted to escalate, it escalated, which, you know, from 2008 to about 2015, it was pretty consistent. Just noticed a few things. She became um, not very clean. Her bathroom started not, I mean, she and I were very similar OCD. Everything was clean. It was not when I went to visit and it was just kind of like shocking. My aunt was there also as well. And we just were like, something's off. Um, we said things to my father and he said, no, we went to the doctor and they said it's menopause. Mm, Um, We've heard that, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we were really kind of on my dad for a while and just dad, she needs to get checked. And so come 2014 is when he finally took her in and the diagnosis came back as FTD. Wow. Immediately. Yeah. So they did, you know, quite a few tests with her, which she was very frustrated. She cried. She felt dumb. She told my dad um, and they came back with FTD, which none of us had ever heard of before. I mean, we've heard of dementia. And how old was she? At at the time of diagnosis, 56 years old. Wow. And so the doctor prior had said menopause, but what was your family thinking the issue was? We 
we're starting to lean towards something of Alzheimer's or dementia, but we okay. just had no idea that there was even FTD, like the variants or, you know, the types of dementia that were out there, um, you know, or it could have been just something else that was wrong with her that needed some medical attention. Mm. What was your dad's take? Like when you'd call and say, how's mom today? Would he give any insight of like, yeah, something's not right. Or was he like, nope, we're good. We're just trying to walk. What was his take on the whole thing? For the very beginning, it was, no, everything's fine. You're, you know, it was just, it wasn't what we were seeing. And we kind of were like, okay, well, maybe because he sees her every day, he's just not seeing what we're seeing. Um, my family were very spread apart. So my sister's in Canada. I was in Arizona at the time and then California. And then, you know, my aunt's in New Mexico. And we all just kind of on the peripheral were like, there, there's just something off. And we just knew it because of the relationship that we had with our mom and what it was and what it was becoming was just not right. And, you know, my dad, I think as soon as the diagnosis came in, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Are there any other symptoms that you want to discuss that um, she had during that 2008 to 2014 time period? So the 2008 to 2014, it was very small symptoms. Just, you know, the things that I mentioned, as soon as it was weird, 2015, my family got together for a family Christmas. So it was all 20 of us for the first time in years, got together in New Mexico where my aunt and uncle used to live. And my mom just, you know, she was there, but she just was not actively present. She was always by my dad. Where's your dad? Where's your dad? And that was just not my mom before. I mean, she loved my dad, obviously, but she didn't need to be around him every second. And then we all left and went back to our homes. And it was like FTD decided to rev its engine and make my mom kind of like an insane person. She became paranoid. Um, she started um, directing aggression towards my father and my aunt had to fly out to Kansas. And then I flew out um, a couple days later because she was admitted to a geriatric psych ward because she was getting just out of control and, and kind of scary. So my aunt was out there for the first um, submission to the psychiatric ward. And then I came out and was there to admit her into the second one because we just had no idea how to handle her. She was scary. Uh, she was saying things to my father that were just outlandish um, and also just being aggressive and trying to you know, hit him. You know, she would try to escape out of the house. She would scream in public. Um, you know, so it just, it escalated. And that's where we were just like, what in the world is, is this? Like, yeah. is, you know, I mean, you guys all know how the different, I mean, it's just like the person completely flips. Right. And so at that point, you knew what it was, you knew it was FTD. I'm curious, the doctor or the team that, that diagnosed her, were they able to help you troubleshoot or help with medications? I, I feel like this is something we're starting to tap into with these interviews. It's like, okay, you get the diagnosis, but then what, like how, like, Law enforcement doesn't understand this disease. Like, you know, people are in and out of jail and in all these terrible situations. And I know my the place that my mom goes, 
are pretty involved when you have issues, but it doesn't sound like many other places are. So can you tell us like what they would tell you when you'd reach out? So we, when she got the diagnosis, it was essentially, she has FTD. It's a new type of dementia or a a new one that we're getting into that we don't know much about. Good luck. That's really all that we we can give you. Um, There's no cure for it. And it can last two to 20 years. We're like, uh, oh, okay, that's that's a wide range. So when everything escalated with my mom, we reached out to the Alzheimer's Association in Overland Park, Kansas, where my family lived. And they were awesome with trying to help us with resources and, you know, having my dad come in if he needed to, you know, just kind of talk about things. And so they were very helpful. I think we got most help from them, I think emotionally too. Um, They got us connected with someone who could come into my mom's and dad's home and kind of watch my mom for a couple hours so that my dad could still have a job and, and keep food on the table for him and my mom. And then when she did go to the two psych wards, I mean, you know, they would give her the medication, antipsychotics, things that they thought, but I really don't ever think anyone found a, a good combo to figure out how to resolve those behaviors other than basically drugging my mom to where she dating her. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I have a question. I don't think we've ever had anybody on whose family was admitted to a psych ward. Have we Maria? I think we have, but we haven't dived into it. (laughs) Well, guess what, Olivia? I think it's very common. The thing that's different about this conversation is that you already knew she had FTD at that point. That was sort of my question. Like what I understand, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the psychotic behavior, did somebody, medical professional or somebody along those lines say, I suggest here versus like a nursing home? So I think at the very beginning, there was just no clear way for my dad and trying for him to try to figure out what to do with my mom. I think he was recommended take her to these hospitals where they could admit her and watch her because she, you know, there was one time my dad recently just told me, I had no idea that, you know, they were watching TV and she left the room and he was like, okay, where'd she go? So he goes into the kitchen and she had a knife in her hand and she said, I'm going to gut you. And he was like, okay, so what would we like for dinner? So he was just trying to redirect her. So there was just things that my mom, it was frightening that he, Mm -hmm. you know, he experienced. And I know that he, you know, hasn't shared everything with us. I was able to see some of that behavior because I was able to go out and see how kind of scary she was. Um, So there was those basis of why he reached out and they were like, you need to take her to these hospitals so that she can be monitored for her safety, but also for yours. And when you do take a person like your mom in this story, do they give you a time limit? Like we can only keep her for X amount of days. I think the first psych ward was 10 days. And then the second one, I think was either between 10 and 14 days that they kept her. And imagine somebody now, like thinking back, somebody with FTD, that's like, could you keep her a little longer? Like let her feel comfortable and maybe level out a little bit. Like the constant moving must've been 
hard for her and you and you guys, but what, what was it like knowing your mom was in a psych ward? It, it's bizarre. I mean, even telling people when they'd be like, how's your mom doing? And, you know, she's currently in a psych ward right now. I mean, you asked me 10 years ago, where do you see your, I mean, that's obviously something never any of us would expect to say about our parent. And, you know, it, it was just, I mean, putting her or, you know, admitting her in there was a whole ordeal. And then leaving her was even more awful because you don't want to leave the person you love in a place that they're unfamiliar with and seeing her just cry and cry, mm. you know, please don't leave me this. I want to, I just want to go home. And so that, that's hard. And where were you in your life at this time? So when she was diagnosed, I was living in Fort Lauderdale with my now husband. So we were, you know, far away. Um, I was in my young, early mid twenties. So still, um, you know, growing up myself and trying to figure out how do I take this on? Um, you know, I'm the youngest of three. How are all my siblings going to play a part in this? Right. Um, you know, and throughout the whole process, I had to step up and make decisions that were hard and, and be there for my mom and my dad in ways that were uncomfortable, but I wouldn't change anything. I wish I could have done more. We're nodding really hard because that's our role as well. Take us now to the second, ed, is, is the word admittal? Is that a word? Admitted? I think so. Getting in the psych ward. Um, after her stay, what happened? So after her stay, she was brought home. And that is when Paula, who my dad hired to come in and kind of monitor her during the day. And so, you know, every morning that she would come, my mom would get so mad. She'd look at the window and be like, oh, what is she doing here? And then as soon as the door would open, it was like she was Miss Sunshine. Oh, Paula, how are you? You know, mm. and my dad is, I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. So Paula would come in and, you know, be there with my mom and just keep her company while my dad would work. And then it got to a point where, my aunts who I am so fortunate and my uncle were able to offer them to move to Farmington, New Mexico to live in their home with them. Um, yes. So my dad, unfortunately with his job and with my mom's FTD, it was just not going to work. You know, it would have been very hard for them. So they packed up their home and what they could actually, my dad left probably 90% of their home and took what was what he needed and they moved in with my aunt and uncle and they lived with them for a year. And then my mom was admitted into a memory care unit in Farmington, New Mexico. And then wow, this is your, your mom's sister. Is that who you said? Yeah. My mom's sister, Greg. So, I mean, that was a huge thing. I mean, my siblings and I were not in a place to yeah. be able, I mean, to open up our home and we were just racking our brains. Like, what are they going to do? What, how are they going to function? And so with them moving to Farmington, it was, they were able to get my mom on Medicare much quicker mm-hmm. um, to get her the insurance that she needed in Kansas. It was just hoop after hoop that my dad would have had to jump through. And so when a memory care bed or the unit opened for my mom to go in. We 
we made the decision that that's where the best care for her was going to be. Unfortunately, that unit had no idea what FTD was. They had mostly Alzheimer, older patients, and my mom was the youngest. Mm-hmm. We hear that. What, yeah, we hear that a every lot. episode. She was what, like 60 at this point? Yeah, so she was, I think, 50, 59, 58 or 59, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys still, after the second um, psych ward and then Paula, was the, or were the behaviors still the same? So was there still those kind of like psychotic outbursts or had she kind of found the right cocktail to make her level? They toned down, not a lot. Okay. Uh, There was still, you know, my dad would have to call me or FaceTime me and say, hey, your mom's not taking her pills. Can you talk to her? And she'd be like, that man in there is trying to drug me. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, first of all, what man are you talking about? Like, (laughs) you know, and um, I'd be like, okay, mom, well, I'm going to take my my vitamins with you. So let's take them together. So we had to become very creative because right. she felt like my dad was trying to drug her. And then, you know, she one time said, I am not going to be a druggie. And, you know, mm-hmm. just like, so we right. just, yeah, had to get creative. Um, those worked for a little while, but then, you know, as when they moved into my aunts, they were there for almost a year. And it got to a point, I mean, my aunt sent me photos of the bruises that my dad had on his back and his arms because she was getting aggressive. She was getting mean towards my youngest cousin. So it was, you know, it was just like this fluctuation where she'd be okay. And then all of a sudden there would be this like huge outburst. Um, While she was there, she also lost the ability to shower herself. So they had to take that on, you know, using the restroom, you know, and my mom, there was an aspect of her that kind of knew what was going on. And she was so embarrassed. Yeah. You know, I went there to visit one time and I took a shower with her and helped clean her. And she was just so embarrassed. She said, this isn't right. This is not right. Hmm. I have similar situations with my mom and my mom had has the language variant so she couldn't really communicate but I could see in her eyes how embarrassed she was and even though she had little control over herself anymore she did not want me to assist with anything like that and it broke my heart because sometimes I think I would tell myself to make myself feel better she doesn't know what's going on and then in certain moments situations like that I'd say oh she gets it right now and it's hard it's really 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 hard I'm so sorry I can relate with that yeah And, and you know my mom also lost like the executive functions by the time she passed she could not say anything um you know so that was also heartbreaking because you just want to hear their voice oh my god yeah of course that's when the um, memory care unit happened, was she still talking? She was. It wasn't, I mean, you know, she could put a couple things together. Um, so she was at the memory care unit in Farmington, New Mexico for a year. They had this law in the state of New Mexico. If she had, I think, two or three incidents, she had to be replaced or not replaced, um, I guess, kicked out of the home and moved to another home. So she was pinching people which considered 
an act of aggression. So she was then transferred to a home in Albuquerque for the last year of her life, mm-hmm. which, you know, was somewhat of a better care facility. They had a little bit more understanding, not at a FTD, but more, you know, training, I guess, on, on dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and also it was a quick, easy flight for me to go to Albuquerque. It was 45 minutes versus, mm-hmm. you know, 45 minutes and then a three hour drive. So I was able to get out there at least once a month with, you know, my job and whatnot and, and be there with her. Um, so that way, you know, and it was unfortunate she was kicked out, but it was a positive. She was closer. Yeah. little silver lining there. Yeah. Not too much, but a little. No. If you're comfortable talking about it, I'd be curious to know, I'm going through the timeline in my head and I'm guessing for that last year, were you pregnant during that time? I was. Are you comfortable sharing kind of like what that pregnancy was like for you and how, how you were coping? Yeah. So, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I was super obviously excited and it sucked because the first person I want to call, I, A, has no telephone and B, doesn't really understand what I'm saying. So it was still important for me to go out um, in April is when I saw her and I, you know, I did a little printout of the ultrasound and my giving you a little backstory. My mom could not wait to be a grandmother. So Mm -hmm. after being a mother, all she wanted was to be a grandma. So she would like harp on my sister and I, when are you going to have kids? And we're like, okay, first of all, I'm not married. And (laughs) not that that having kids before marriage, but I'm just like, I need to, you know. Um, So when I went out to see her, we kind of did a little celebration with my dad and my aunt, who my mom's sister, um, just to share the news. And she just kind of was like, "Mm, okay. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, I think, you know, with all of that, and then I moved to Spokane, Washington with, for my husband's job. So there was a lot of between April, the last time that I saw her in July, when she passed, I wasn't able to make it out to, to Albuquerque, which I just sometimes just want to kick myself. Like I should have just made the flight there, but just so many things were going on that I just wasn't able to. Um, so I think, with so much going on and then her passing and then taking on and helping my dad figure out the memorial arrangements and all of that, it just kind of like was a blur. I didn't really have a chance to kind of grieve. Yeah. And I think, you know, after the memorial, I mean, it would hit me in waves, the, you know, the grief of of losing my mom. And, you know, you think there's going to be a lot of relief when they pass because a, they don't have to live the way that they're living and a multitude of things, but the sadness will always still outweigh that relief is what I found, which was like, oh, this just really sucks. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, more emotional after my son was born because he was here and, mm-hmm. you know, my mom's not. Right. Um, so I still ride that wave. I find myself more emotional this pregnancy without my mom. Mm. You know, I found my, I just find myself crying a lot more you know, just at random times. Um, so it's I just, think too, there's probably like not a lot of distraction, right? Like you're planning the memorial and you're in Washington and you're here. Now you're like settled and you're like, okay. Yes. Uh. I, you know, and there's just more time to think. And I'm, I'm still trying to dig and, you know, cause the last what's 
maybe five years, four years of her life was just really chaotic with, with things going on and whatnot. And I'm just still trying to work on moving that because that is a relationship that I have with her that I cherish, but I want to uncover the relationship that I had before and bring up those memories that I had. And I'm I'm kind of struggling with that. And I think that's also where a lot of my grief is right now is I just want to find those memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she was diagnosed in 2008 and she passed away in 2000 and so she, uh, 2014, 2014 was okay. the diagnosis and she died in July of 2019, 19. Yes. Okay. So symptoms, 2008 passing 2019. Yes. Wow. So this can get a little tricky. So if you're not comfortable, we totally don't have to talk about it, but, um, what ended up taking her life? Was it the FTD or was it pneumonia or like, what can you kind of walk us through the last couple of days if you're comfortable? Yeah. So uh, the last, probably I'd say about month and a half of my mom's life, the care home called and told my dad that she was no longer eating, which, you know, was a sign for us that, okay, I think things are coming to the end. I, we just Mm -hmm. don't know when. Um, so fast forward to July, you know, she's still not eating. They're having to liquefy her foods and, you know, things of that nature. I unfortunately wasn't able to be with my mom when she passed. My dad was there. Um, she just passed from what the coroner's office said was complications of dementia. And yeah. So there wasn't like the big, like. I always picture it like, just go to sleep, right? And just don't know what's happening. Um, But you hear like, well, they got pneumonia and then they couldn't get up and then the pneumonia took them. But Mm -hmm. if they didn't have FTD, maybe the pneumonia really wouldn't have been such a tragedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Was, you guys knew it was coming. So were you like just waiting by your phone? Like, what was it like for you knowing like, okay, she's not eating what is the anxiety I'm sure was beyond. Yeah. I was just like, okay, you know, we knew this, this time would come like, mm-hmm. I, you know, what also, I, I think a lot of us were just like, okay, mom, it's, it's okay. Like, yeah. it's, you know, so to kind of give you a little bit of information. It was my baby shower the day that my mom I was died. Say, did you, had you had the baby? Okay. Yeah. So I was actually in Phoenix, Arizona for my family baby shower that I was having, you know, my sister and then my husband's side of the family come and then my aunt and my other cousin. So we were all in Phoenix and my dad got a call around 9am that my mom was struggling and that they think that he needs to come down pretty quick. So he got in the car and he got to the memory care home and spent the whole day with my mom. We were in Phoenix and we were carrying on and we did our baby shower and we got a, I got a few text messages around six o'clock from my dad. Please call me. My aunt got a call. So we knew that something weird. So my, you know, we were all on speakerphone and my dad, you know, let us know that my mom passed, Um, you know, and, and at the time, you know, and we've resolved this, but I would have dropped everything and drove six hours to go be with my mom. If I would have been given a chance 
to be with her. So that's, you know, something that my dad and I have talked about and he feels awful that he made the decision. He said, I, I just contemplated, I didn't want to ruin your special day. This is your first child. And I, I guess I made, I mean, I made the wrong call. I should have given you the option, um, which I appreciated him doing because I wanted the option or at least a phone call to let me tell her, mom, I love you. And I'll see you again. So I think it's really cool. Totally side note that you and your dad have such a great relationship that you could tell him like, look, I'm upset about that. You know, I think STD has a not a spooky way, but like a little way of just getting in between people and breaking families apart. So I think it's, um, we're looking for the good and the silver lining. I think it's special that you have that relationship with him to just let him know straight out. Like, I'm not too happy that you did that. Yeah. And, you know, him and I, our relationship has strengthened a lot. It was mostly, I mean, I was always close with him, but it was my mom and I, like she and I Mm -hmm. were buddies and Mm -hmm. with, you know, I'll be honest in the beginning of FTD, our family with my aunt, it was pretty, you know, relationships changed, but coming out of it, my aunt and I are much closer. My dad and I are much closer. My sister and I, my brother. So I, you know, there are hard times because it's hard, but you know, we've, we've come out together. And I think that that's something my mom would have wanted. She would have hated to see some of the things that were maybe said or done. I just want to give you like, I wish I could hug you. I could drive to Redondo. Oh, Should I hop in the car? This is the first story for me that, um, just feels like you're tapping into a lot of those feelings that I was feeling around the time of having my son. And I can't believe the trauma that you went through having your mom pass on your baby shower. Um, but I just, I, I feel what you're feeling and I'm, I want to hug you and I want to meet you when I come see Rachel in yes. California. Cause it's, it's very hard to explain what it's like to have your first child and be going through this with your mother, especially if you're really close to your mom. And I found that similar to what you were saying, when your son came, when he was born, you started to grieve even more. I found that to be the same because every single thing that came up with him I wanted to ask my mom, what do I do? Or I wanted to share it with her or my husband does this more than me, but like we think about what they would be like as grandmas, you know, and how they be swooping in. And that's just a big part of my life that that's where a lot of my grief lives. The whole mother, now my new motherhood experience and not having her a part of that. So I can't take it away, but I can tell you that I, f- I really feel the same way you feel yeah. <laughs> and it's horrible. <laughs> I know It's so, so awful. I'm like, should I start a support groups for like moms losing their moms? <laughs> Cause it's Serious. So rough. It's so, so rough. And 
there's no there's no words it's just horrible you know Rachel help me out I can't put it into words either it sounds um my my dad is the one who has FTD but I know what's hard is like I can get the memories that we've created and I can hold those real tight but what I can't get are the memories that we haven't created and that's what kills me is yeah. just like, you didn't get to meet my kids. You didn't get to be at my wedding. And those are like the big things in my life. Um, so I get like the loss and the, oh gosh, but what really kills me is like looking forward. Like he's not going to be there at my kid's elementary school Christmas play. I don't know. Things that maybe don't matter to other people matter to me. He's not going to be there when Jack learns how to ride a bike. He's not going to, like all of these things come up. So it's like happy, great memories, but also it's missing such a big chunk that it hurts a lot. So I, I can only imagine your, I mean, your tummy is there and you're like, where's my mom? You know? So I think what I find really helpful, this will be my last soapbox rant is um, like, I write to my kids not for my dad, but like, if he was here, this is probably what he would say. And he'd say this because when I was a little girl, he blah, 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 blah. Or um, we do vanilla ice cream with peanut butter and banana. And I would have probably never created that, but we do that. And we say, this is his ice cream. Like Mm. we do little things that I know that they're going to like and remember who, what five-year-olds not like, no, thanks. I don't want any ice cream. So I try to like incorporate him in the things that they really like so that they kind of pair the two. I don't know. And they, they know him, they know that he's not well. Um, But I think because they're so young, they don't know that that's not how they always like he, my, my oldest is like, so how did he take you on a walk? If he's in a wheelchair, I'm like, he wasn't always. So I try to talk about him before he got sick. That's my advice for the day. I know I that's great. All the listeners, write it down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel's advice. Okay. So I think this is a good time to dive into who your mom was before FTD. I really want to get to know Robin, the wonderful mama. So my mom, Robin, was the life of the party. I like to say is, I prefer to try to keep her present. So she is the life of the party. She loved being a mom. That's all she wanted to be. As soon as she got married was I want to have kids and I want to be a mom Um, to my brother, Max, my sister and I, Alexandra. So, I mean, to us, she's the world's greatest mom. She just Mm -hmm. had a heart of gold. She, no matter what, wanted to make people feel belonged Um, My aunt and I I went and visited a couple, maybe a month or so ago, and we were just talking about my mom and she said, you know, your mom befriended some weird people, like, (laughs) like people that normal people don't really want to reach out and go be friends with, but your mom seemed to just love those people. Um, So, you know, we just talked about each friendship and how those people just adore my mom and they were heartbroken when she passed. And she may have not been, you know, she kind of cut off friendships when FTD kind of started taking place. So those friendships kind of withered away, but they, when she passed, they were like, she was 
a great friend, someone that was always there for me, supportive, always there for a laugh. My mom loved going to coffee and talking for hours. Um, you know, so I think, you know, that was a huge part of her life that she missed, you know, obviously as you know, moving away and whatnot. Um, but, you know, going back to being a mom, she would do whatever she could in her, within her means. She was still very disciplinary. We were very well-behaved kids because she was just consistent and did not tolerate anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, a story that I want to share, like about my mom is, you know, we'd be in the car and she's like, okay, what do we want for dinner? And I'd be like, Taco Bell. My sister would be like McDonald's. And my brother would say something else. And she'd say, okay, we'll go to all three. And, you know, I, I don't know many parents that, I mean, you know, that would do that. They'd be like, no, we're going to pick one. But my mom just was like, you know what, tonight I'm feeling happy. I'm going to take you all. So you're all happy with what you want for dinner. And, you know, that's That's such a sweet memory. It's making me feel like such a crappy mom too. I'm like, no, (laughs) you are going to eat what I serve you. Well, yeah, that's like a note from Robin. Yeah. Wow. That's really sweet. Yeah. So she would just do sweet things like that, which, you know, I will, I want to eventually do with my kids down the road when they're older. Um, But yeah, just my mom was a genuine person and just wanted to take care of you the best way that she could. Was she, I don't like the term, but I'll say it anyway. Was she a stay at home mom? Yes, she was. She did have a couple, you know, part-time jobs here and there, like at Jocelyn selling jewelry. And she loved, you know, talking to people. And then um, she did become a nanny to four children um, when I was in high school who had fragile X syndrome um, with the chromosome. And she loved that job. I mean, she just worked her butt off for that family. And while I was in high school and then a little bit when she went to Kansas, but had to stop due to FTD. Wow. Wow. She must really like kids. Maria, could you imagine being a nanny? Okay. Cause I sure can't. I can barely parent my two. Like when she said she didn't tolerate much, Robin, I'm gonna pick your brain for a yeah. second. Cause I don't know how to discipline kids. <laughs> and that's why I wish I had my mom here. Cause you know, so, I mean, I know my child's totally. only one years old, but I'm like, how the heck do you tell him to stop touching stuff? Oh yeah. I know. yeah. So like now that you're a mom, Think about like how your kid would describe you. How would you describe her? Fun, but also no nonsense. Mm. Oh, um, I love that. That's, yeah. mm, okay. She, I mean, she would always tell me, hey, do you want to skip school today and we'll go shopping? Only because I had good grades. It wasn't like, you know. Right. right. And I was like, no, mom, I have to go to school. Like, oh, I, you're a real follower. Okay. Yes. Now my sister, on the other hand, would have been like, oh yeah, let's go. So, <laughs> you know, she was just fun. Like that's just the, the biggest word that I can put on her. She was loving. And I mean, she, if she were here today and no FTD, I mean, her and I would be thick as thieves. She'd probably be living in my home, yep. helping me take care of my children. That's what my husband says about my mom. Yeah. We would be lunching and walking and I feel so bad because I feel so negative on this episode, but I'm like, in you're not, no, you're not depths of my grief right now. Oh. Like my mom is really not doing well. And I'm just like, this sucks. <laughs> it does. It's, I mean, it's like I've said before, or I've told people when I describe this disease, it's the long goodbye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and, and you lose the person twice. I mean, I lost who my mom was before FTD and then I lost her physically when she passed. And so it's just like, okay, just hit me more. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you actually just hit on a really good point that we haven't talked about, but I'm sure everybody feels you think like, okay, so they got the diagnosis and we have this, you know, progressive illness that's eventually going to take you, but every day you lose them just a little bit more. And that's a, that's a weird thing to grapple with. Exactly. Okay. Let's spin it here a little. Um, okay. Whoop. Well, now we're back. Um, so <laughs> you had said that, um, you remembered something that she would always tell you. What was that? It was just simple. And, you know, so my mom, even though she lost most of her speaking, she was always just able to say, I just love you. So like, you know, she would say, I love you to me more than I think I know anyone to say, I love you. She never wanted us to go without feeling that we were not loved. So she was just something that she constantly said, you know, the last time that I saw her in April, she was able to whisper and get out. I just love you. And, you know, so I just, you know, it's simple and sweet three words, but those are things that I'll always take with me and know that with my kids, I need to tell them more than they will probably want to hear that I love them. Mm. That's so beautiful. That's really sweet. Thank you. Yeah. My favorite part is always the end where we get to hear from the person or really a memory or something. So Olivia, what do you have to share with us? So I have a quote from Reverend Luther F. Beecher. It was something that we put in my mom's memorial. And it's something that I think that she would have liked if she were alive to hear. And so I will, it is called Gone from My Sight. I'm standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength. And I stand and watch her until she hangs like a speck of white cloud. Just where the sea and sky come down to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, there, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. She is just as large in mass and whole and spar as she was when she left my side. And just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of her destination, her diminished size in me and not in her. And just at that moment, when someone at my side says, there, she's gone, there are other eyes that are watching for her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, there she comes. And I find that special because my mom's parents died in 1999 in a plane crash. And obviously that devastated my mother. And I know that, you know, whatever you believe that my grandparents were on the other side waiting for my mom. And I think she was the happiest that she probably had been in a long time to be able to see them. Special thank you to Olivia for bravely sharing her story with us this week. You guys, we finally have our website up. It's RememberMeFTD.com. We've got some blog posts, some info about FTD and about me and Rachel. So check it out and let us know what you think on our Instagram at RememberMePodcast. 
We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is by Bailey Kent.